The Broadway mega musical Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark had many things go wrong while the creative team was trying to get this project off the ground. Between arguments about the script with Marvel, firing and then hiring scriptwriters, composers who are too busy to actually compose, and then the lead producer having a stroke and dying while signing a contract for the very show, it was, to say the least, a rocky start. They had hoped that after booking a theater and starting to get their text straight that it would be a relatively smooth sailing from here. Their hopes would not come true. This show was plagued by tech issues, money issues, infighting amongst the creative team, and the inability to accept when you might be wrong. Today, I will be continuing the story of how Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark became the most controversial musical in Broadway history. Welcome to Strange Ride, where I tell the smartest man I know the weirdest things I know. My name is Savannah Barrett, and I will be your guide today, but you're not the only ones going on this ride. I have a returning guest here, Will Alderson. Hi, great to be back. <laughs> and from, oh, I gave you a little title in here, I forgot. Uh, so Will's the smartest man I know. You are probably the tallest person I know. Yeah. So... <laughs> You get a little title, too. And yeah. then, of course, we have the smartest man I know, Rob C. Thompson of Occult Confessions fame. This musical has ruined my hopes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm shocked that after this musical, any of them were like, I want to still work in theater. <laughs> did did anybody? Did any of them? I mean, Bono, they're, they're not going to make uh, theater Julie, anymore. Julie yeah. Taymor directed M. Butterfly a couple years ago with Clive Owens, but that's that's about it. How long was the gap in time? Uh, it was 2017 she did that. So from like 2011 to 2017. Yes. Six years before she did another thing. <laughs> yeah. It took her six years to recover And even then, you're saying, Will, she hasn't done a show since then, Butterfly. No, David she Henry hasn't. Long piece, yeah. Yeah, and even that one, like it wasn't that well received. So Yeah, John Lithgow, I think, uh, was is best associated with that character from Men Butterfly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. yeah, well, uh, we can hop right into this next bit. This next bit, uh, we start to get into some of the dangerous things about the show, too. So stay tuned. And here's the pledge again. Can you guys say it with me this time? Yeah. <laughs> I solemnly commit myself to keep my hands, hands arms, arms, feet, and, and legs inside the vehicle inside at the all times while on this strange ride. ride. All right. Please remain seated. Your strange ride will resume immediately. I feel like this is a good point for me to try and explain what Julie Taymor's version of the story was, because there are a lot of technical elements that didn't end up working. And that's me trying to explain what didn't end up working wouldn't make sense unless you knew what the plot was. So Arachne is turned into the world's first spider by the goddess Athena for her hubris. And then we cut to Peter Parker in school. He gets bullied. He wants to his aunt and uncle that he doesn't like himself. And he wishes that he could also beat up the bullies to which uncle Ben says, no, you have to rise above. You're better than them. Don't stoop to their level. And then the school goes on a field trip to Oscorp where Norman Osborn shows the students that he is genetically modifying animals and plans to do the same with humans soon. And he's basically saying that he's creating the next step of evolution. Uh, a spider breaks out and bites Peter and he gets his spider powers. And this is like all relatively normal. Like this is kind of the plot of the first movie anyway, sort of. Peter feeling better about himself because he's got all these spidey powers. He sees uh, Mary Jane, the girl he's crashing on, get driven to school by Flash Thompson, who is his bully. <laughs> And is like, I need a car so I can drive Mary Jane to school. And so he sees a poster for this wrestling competition, goes to the wrestling competition, 
wins and he gets money and then uncle ben gets ran over by a car for some reason like it just kind of happens out of nowhere and it for no rhyme or reason other than the fact that uncle ben had to die because that's just what happens in the story and so after that like peter is like oh no i'm so sad which fair enough you should be but also then arachne appears to him and like gives him a pep talk and is like you need to rise above and he's like okay i'll honor my uncle ben and be spider-man and so norman osborne sees a modified human and which is spider-man and thinks that his technology is being stolen so he's like we need to hurry up with our test so he decides to experiment on himself and he turns himself into the green goblin killing his wife in the process so he goes crazy he attacks spider-man the city and mary jane and then after their battle spider-man attaches a web to a piano and then the piano to the green goblin and the green goblin plummets to his death with the piano and then that's just act one that's just the end of act one that's an entire show right there yeah. and that's just act one that's enough really we can go home yeah. now exactly. 90 minutes and you're good so, and then in Act 2, Peter is being Spider-Man and the Sinister Six show up, which is like a big thing in Spider-Man like lore and comic books. It's it's like the League of Doom or whatever. And um, that's a lot of villains already. Like, why is he fighting the Sinister Six? But yeah, so they show up. He like kills them all. He kills them, which doesn't normally happen. Like Spider-Man doesn't normally kill people. Yeah, and but- Julie Tamer also like didn't use all of the sinister six members she like created her own sinister six in a way she created one actually because i also thought that she made up some because there's like one person that's like completely made out of bees and i was like no way but that was a real one there was like miss swiss or something swiss miss swiss miss was it was like all she's all like knives and stuff and everyone's like why why did you name her after a a, a, like hot chocolate yeah, I would imagine she'd be <laughs> chocolatey or Dutch or something. No, it, I think it was trying to be like she was like a pocket knife kind of or whatever, like a Swiss knife or something. But hmm. um, it's either way, that was the only one that they made up. All the other ones that they mention are actual real ones. And honestly, I think they picked the dumbest, most obscure ones because they thought it was funny and that they were like kind of trying to make fun of it in a way. So the Sinister Six shows up, Peter Parker kills all of them. And then uh, Mary Jane breaks up with him because he's a bad boyfriend because he's always too busy being Spider-Man. And then he decides he doesn't want to be Spider-Man anymore because he wants to be a boyfriend to Mary Jane. And Arachne gets pissed off and she's like, how dare he not want to be Spider-Man anymore? And how dare he want to be with this girl? So she like throws like, three there's three songs in a row that is just her arachne throwing a temper tantrum which is like half of the second act so then the sinister six somehow return and so does the green goblin even though they're all supposed to be dead and peter parker's like oh my god what happened so he eventually does go back to start fighting them and he learns that arachne created the sinister six and the green goblin as illusions to draw peter parker back into being spider-man and then arachne kidnaps mary jane and starts to suffocate her in her web and Peter Parker and Arachne have this mating dance slash fight where she's basically just screaming at Peter Parker, love me or kill me. And I don't know how, but somehow it ends like and nobody dies. Arachne is turned back into a human and she ascends into the stars 
and Peter Parker gets to be Spider-Man with Mary Jane as his girlfriend. And then that's the end of the plot. If they had just stopped at the end of Act 1, this would have been fine. Right. Yeah. Which is what they eventually do for 2.0. They don't stop at Act 1, but they they, they make it, like, you know, they take arachne out a little bit and then just make yes. just about the green goblet she, <laughs> but also in uh, in, in the uh, 1.0 there was an original idea but they had to scrap it because it did not work like most of the show but it was like the final battle was going to be between spider-man and arachne and they were going to put like this giant web over the audience and like have them fight yep. over on this web and but like it, the web kept getting caught on things so they were like, yeah, this is, we, we shouldn't do this. Yep. Oh, and also I want to mention that between almost every single scene, they had a geek chorus, which in case you're not a theater person, old Greek shows have Greek choruses that come out and it's a bunch of people kind of just talking about the show. And um, so they had that, but they were called the geek chorus and they would just come out and be super annoying every so often. Actually, pretty uh, pretty often, which was really annoying. One of the effects that they learned early on wasn't going to work is uh, Arachne's illusions. They really wanted to do like a Pepper's Ghost effect to make it look like that the Sinister Six was there, but it wasn't like corporeal and stuff. But it it just didn't end up working. So images of the Sinister Six ended up getting shown on these like giant LED screens that were all over the stage. Tamor flies off to Hawaii to film The Tempest, and two months later, she returns to learn they need to move back when rehearsals will start because of set building delays, and that would be the first delay of many. The next technical issue that appeared was what Will was just talking about, the final battle between Arachne and Peter. Like he said, there was a big net that would get caught in things. They couldn't figure out how to get it to work. And the technical director, Fred Gallo, suggested that they could use this structure known as a tambour. A tambour is a rolling door made of hinge slats that slid in a groove. And so this is like, this is from the book because I was like, I can't, I don't even, I cannot describe what this thing is. Fred explained how a tambour-like structure in the rig truss would enable the net to emerge in a gradual and tidy fashion. Averting tangles, tambour sounded promising. We had all learned a new word anyhow. (laughs) But the big thing with that is that Gallo said that they wouldn't know if it would work until they built it. So they either had to like risk building it and have it work or like they build it and then it doesn't work and then they've wasted the money. So they took the gamble and they told him to build it. And the final price tag on that thing would be a million dollars for something that they didn't even know was going to work or not. Yeah. When I said (laughs) that if they had just stopped at the end of act one, it would be fine. I meant with a big old asterisk finances excluded. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the, even then, like if they ended at the end of Act One, they wouldn't have had to worry about this. Well, this yeah, that, that's battle. true. But I mean, yeah. the, the financials of this were the problem, I think, at the core. But anyhow, I mean, also that that second act. Don't get me wrong, but the other problem was the financials, which the second act doesn't solve. Yes, <laughs> this is just a, a short little tidbit that I absolutely love. Is uh, Berger and Garfinkel went to meet with um, Joe. <sighs> Quesada, 
Quesada, <laughs> who was Marvel Comics editor-in-chief. And they were basically being like, oh, yeah, the show's going great, blah, blah, blah. And they played him a song from the musical Boys for All boy falls from the sky and if you remember bono and edge snuck a shit into the lyrics and when the marvel editor heard that he was furious he was like you you cannot peter parker cannot say that oh my god you need to take that out of the musical right now like are there any other curse words in the musical and um they were like no 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 don't worry we'll change it we'll change it and so like their one shit got caught like that and then they had to take it out and then the next step was to cast the show and then this wasn't so bad like nothing crazy terrible happened um the most notable things was that tamor was very picky about who was going to be arachne and after auditioning hundreds of people she only found one actor that she thought was good enough to play arachne and her name was natalie mendoza and then reeve carney was cast as peter parker jen uh how do i say her last name jen Damiano, Jen Damiano was uh, Mary Jane. And last but certainly not least, Alan Cumming was cast to play the Green Goblin or Norman Osborn. And for people who don't know, Alan Cumming is like a legend in musical theater. So it's pretty cool to have him a part of your show. And it's funny, too, because he sent words to the producers of Spider-Man without reading the script or hearing any of the music that he was in and he wanted to do it. So by June 23rd... That was probably Julie Taymor. Yeah. If I had to guess, right, Will? Like, he saw Julie Taymor's name was on it, and her, the association with Julie Taymor at this time period is Lion King and how cool that is. Yeah, that and, and he was, her, like, opera work and I think a couple, like, you know, The Tempest and a bunch of Shakespeare. Yeah, I was about to yeah. say, he also worked with her on The Tempest movie. And right. so did Reef so Carney. Yes, and that's how she found Reeve Carney, who is absolutely amazing and yeah. is on Broadway right now as Haiti. Or no, as Orpheus in Hades Town, which is one of the best musicals ever made. So I, I also work on work work there sometimes. So <gasps> Oh my god, I love Hades Town so much. But <laughs> but yeah, so by June twenty third, two thousand nine, the entire musical was cast. Things started to seem like everything was on track. The theater was being renovated. They had the full cast. They got Alan Cumming to sign his contract. All there was left to do was wait to start rehearsals and for the theater to be finished renovating so they can start doing tech. Well, nothing is that simple with the Spider-Man musical. August 6, 2009, news broke that David Garfinkel didn't actually have all the money he needed to pay for everything that was happening. And he wasn't even just a little short. He was $20 million short. He told everyone at the beginning of this process that money would be no issue, that he could easily find people to pay for this. And he was wrong. And so now the theater was dark, the renovation stopped, and they weren't even sure if the show was going to be able to happen anymore. Spider-Man was exclusively funded by private investors, so Marvel had put no money into the show. And Garfinkel went to the Marvel execs being like, help us. And they were like, no, like, we don't want to help you. That's a lot of money. And then three days later, they came back to him. They were like, well, actually, it'd probably be really bad for our brand if we didn't help you. And then they had a meeting with Garfinkel to go over how much money that they needed to help him with. And then they promptly said no again, and then <laughs> never said anything about it again. They were like, nope, that's too much money. You can go die. Garfinkel tried to be positive and said that like he'd have this problem resolved in a week. But then Berger saw in the papers that their general managers had released the actors from their contracts and that the actors could look for other work so like all of the casting 
that they did, which is a very, very long and tedious progress, uh, was like a waste. And then what was Martin McCallum doing, the second producer? Uh, Well, nothing. He actually fled to Australia and never spoke to another person or a single person who worked on Spider-Man ever again. Like, actually fled to Australia. That's hilarious. <laughs> I know. And his name still shows up on the program as, like, a producer, but he he dipped. The second this happened, he was out of there. And um, Garfinkel did somehow find enough money to put Alan Cumming on retainer so that he wouldn't leave if the show even happened. And then Bono ended up reaching out to a man that he knew, Michael Cole, who had recently produced some things on Broadway, including Spamalot and a Lord of the Rings musical. Lord of the Rings one was only in London, though. They didn't bring that to Broadway. Thank you. It, and then also, apparently, it did really bad anyway. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. But, That's why you don't anyway, hear about it anymore. Yep. Yeah, but he had experience producing these kind of things. He did say that he would save the show, along with his business partner, Jerry Harris. Um, to save the show, however, Hello Entertainment would be consumed. I guess is the word. I couldn't think of a better word uh, by Cole and Harris's production company, which was called Goodbye Entertainment. So like, seriously, this is the actual name. Like Hello Entertainment got taken over by Goodbye Entertainment and Goodbye Entertainment was now the lead producing company for Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. And um, so they determined how much money they needed to save the show. It was $24 million. And then they also discovered that running this show was going to cost $1.1 million every week because of all the equipment that they had to rent, all of that crazy stuff. So that meant in order for the show to break even, they would have to sell out every performance for four years in order just to break even. yeah. It's just crazy. It just doesn't. <laughs> uh, the other element of this event, while we're on the financials, which I mentioned, is that a lot of Broadway shows don't necessarily recover their investment in New York. They recover it on the mm-hmm. road. But Spider Man was so enormous. I mean, you, t- you you said that they couldn't do previews out of town because of the, mm-hmm. the sheer volume of technical equipment required that it couldn't tour. So there yep. was no. The basic Broadway business model was broken right away before they'd even gotten out of the gate but they they said that they was were still going to tour after the show was on broadway but how i mean imagine how expensive it would have been to move all of that and the theaters like every uh, remote theater would have to accommodate that and well i I I think they were gonna they were there was like plans for a las vegas production that was their ultimate goal and then they were gonna do like an arena tour like they do with the Disney on ice and like some of like the motorcycle motor cross and circus shows. Yeah. I think that was I, the original plan. Cause like yeah. that's much easier to rig than in a, than a theater. If you can sell those tickets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on March 8th, seven months after the Hilton went dark, People were finally getting back to work. Contracts with the actors were worked out again. And Alan Cumming had just accepted a role on CBS's The Good Wife, but he still intended on being the Green Goblin. He would just miss a few performances here and there to record. And Tamor didn't like that. She said that she wanted everyone to experience the same thing and the same actors. So she told the producers to cut him loose. And they hired Patrick Page to be the Green Goblin slash Norman Osborn, who Patrick Page is also an amazing actor and also in Hadestown, or at least was in Hadestown, 
Um, I don't know if he's still in it at the moment. He is not. He left in December. Rip. He's amazing. For he his very deep voice. He is a hardcore, like, bass. It, it is insane how deep his voice is. Like he, I, he was in uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame as well. Who did he play? He was uh, Hell's Fire. Yeah, he was Hell's Fire. <gasps> oh, oh my god. I mean, now I need to go watch that. Would he have the same voice part as Alan Cumming? Nope. <laughs> Not at all. So... <laughs> What, I don't know. What are we doing I here? Mean, Julie Moore worked with him. Uh, like, apparently Patrick Page played Scar in The Lion King. All right. Okay, so yeah, that makes sense. worked with him, and she knew that he was a good actor. And, yes, his voice is to die for. He's amazing. Um, and I also just want to point out that I think it's really funny that uh, Reeve Carney, who plays Orpheus, was Peter Parker, and uh, Patrick Page plays Hades in Hadestown also played the green goblin so they got to be in both like one of the worst musicals ever made and then one of the best musicals ever made together <laughs> yeah vindication as a uh, antagonist and protagonist and then this next part is just fantastic in a such a sad way this is a quote from glenn berger seven months of extra rent payments and restructured deals had sent the budget to a morbidly obese 60 million and the worst part about the budget was that it wouldn't be reflected on stage. It was still a $30 million show, dragging a $30 million bag of waste behind it. Over the last six years, the person who made most of the money off of this project was Alan Cumming. <laughs> Go. <laughs> That's so funny. Because the Julie Taymor and Glenn Berger weren't going to get paid until like after the show opened, like with residuals and stuff like that. Yeah. And so Alan Cumming was the only one making money off this thing. And he wasn't even in it. He wasn't even in it. He was getting a paycheck like once every week or so to just sit around and be like, yeah, I'll be in your musical. And then Julie Taymor was like, I don't yeah. want to be in my musical. <laughs> Well, because holding deals are, are commonplace. Uh, I know from the comedy world, like you go to like Just for Laughs uh, in like Montreal and you get a deal, like an executive from CBS or something's like, we want to make like a TV show with you or like Netflix comes to you. It's like, we want to make something with you, but we'll make a holding deal where like you can't make a deal with any other company besides us. And you're just going to sit around for a year or two while we like develop something around you and we'll pay you. And most of the time, like nothing happens with it. Like, you know, obviously these TV shows fall apart quickly, but they still pay you. But the only downside is you can't really do anything for like a year yeah. or two while you're in this. Yeah. That's interesting. I see. I so, didn't realize. So you're that. still making money, but it's just like, okay, yeah, I'd have to wait around until. You know, they, they want me. And then most of the time they're like, yeah, no, we don't want you anymore because <laughs> sitcoms never work out and this never works out. Movies never work out. For new out. performers, I think that's it is that's a terrible situation because you don't know what to do. And you, you, it's nice to have the check, but not being able to, you know, pursue other opportunities is tough. For Alan Cumming, he, he just made out like no. this was just a great deal for him. Yes. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, and I think later he was quoted saying like, "Whoa, I dodged a bullet, didn't I?" <laughs> 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 not being in that musical. <laughs> yeah, he might he might have broken a limb or something. <laughs> yeah. Although to be fair, I think. And then we wouldn't. Then 
Uh, then we wouldn't have had we wouldn't have had the cabaret revival that was so great. Okay, well, no, it's even better that he wasn't in this show then. Although I think he would have made a pretty great Green Goblin. <laughs> the new date for previews was set for November 14th, and they got to rehearsing starting August 8th, 2010. Turn Off the Dark had 37 scenes in it. And they couldn't rehearse 13 of those scenes in the workshop because the tech was too important for those 13 scenes that it wasn't even worth trying to block them. And blocking means like the actions taken on a stage. Like, can you describe it better, Rob? I always just call it traffic patterns. It's where the actors go, where they stand. Thank you. I just like, I don't ever know how to describe it properly. Yeah, stage traffic. During rehearsals, uh, they learned that their gamble with the tambour didn't pay off. They installed it and then realized it wouldn't work. And so then they had to dismantle it. So $1 million for nothing. And now they had no grand climax for Act 2. And then tech was a whole monster in itself. Like there was a ramp that would move up and down the stage. There was that Chrysler building trick that I mentioned before, multiple flying Spider-Men around the Green Goblin Spidey battle, and a 30-foot pit in the middle of the stage to lift set pieces in and out, as well as to simulate Mary Jane getting dropped off the Brooklyn Bridge. The show was so complex that it needed two stage managers to help run this thing like one was just focused solely on tech and then the other one was focused on like helping the actors backstage and blah 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 when tech finally began for the show and it was time to start putting the show together they learned just how difficult things were going to be and after four days of tech they were only moving through 42 seconds of the show for every hour of tech like i I can't even imagine moving that slow. I think I'd actually lose my mind, which makes sense because most of them did. (laughs) Like, I I think I would quit. Like, I I don't care how committed I am to a project. If it's moving that slow, I think I think I wouldn't be able to handle it. It's tough. Mm hmm. So September 26, 2010 the first injury happens. So I feel like most people have heard about this because of all the injuries that happened. And here we are with the first one. The ramp didn't lower quickly enough and a stunt actor slammed into the ramp and he ended up breaking his toe and causing some fracturing this foot. And then he would be out for several weeks. And then in the same week, Daniel Ezrelo, who is the choreographer, was telling his dancers, like, hey, you know, just move however you want. Like, so let's see if, like, we can find any moves to help inspire ourselves. And this one actor did a flip, but he didn't land it properly. And he landed on his head and knocked himself out. (laughs) Like, that's not their fault, but (laughs) like still another injury. Yeah, you feel stupid after that. That's for sure. And then they almost killed somebody. Uh, the the giant lift in the middle of the stage that creates that 30-foot pit that I mentioned, um, some guy, like one of the crew members, was looking at something inside of it, and then the thing started to lift up, and his head almost got smushed. But they did manage to stop that, so that was not an injury. Like, he was okay, but he definitely would have died um, if it didn't get stopped in time. By October 5th, they had only gotten through 37 minutes of the show, which, like... For tech, you should be already through most of your show, probably. Dan Lee, the guy who created Spider-Man or helped create Spider-Man, I don't know, um, actually showed up 
to the rehearsal on October 6th. And lucky for everyone that day, the tech went off without a hitch and they managed to have Spider-Man jump from the air and land in the aisle next to the audience and then back up into the air to fight the Green Goblin. And it was a pretty impressive effect and it made Stanley so happy. He was like, this show is amazing. And he he was like, everybody needs to go see the show when it opens. And he said to Julie Taymor, you're a genius and I love you. However, that was the only thing he saw. So he was like seeing good Spider-Man stuff, not realizing all of the Arachne stuff that was going to be happening later on. Another failed tech element that they couldn't find a workaround is that when Norman Osborn is transformed into the Green Goblin, he didn't have enough time to be changed into the Goblin's costume and makeup. So as he exited the tube that changed him, he looked exactly the same, except he wasn't wearing a shirt. And then he had some scars that were described as a little incident while grilling some steaks. <laughs> and then he shows up in act or like in a later scene, like covered head to toe in this like green and yellow suit and makeup and like looks completely different. So that's like a little goofy. October 19th, the next injury happened. While performing for a number of sales agents and ticket brokers, Kevin Alvin landed a little too hard on the ramp and broke both of his wrists. So they said that they fixed that problem and nothing like that should ever have a, should ever happen again. At that point, Tamor was on to the next problem with the boys. They didn't have an ending and her and Berger met with Bono and Edge to write a climatic battle song. It's a fight to the death, but it's also a mating dance. It should feel intense between Peter and Arachne, like they belong together. And yet, at the end of it, Peter demands to know where Mary Jane is. It's like calling out someone else's name during rough sex. And everybody was like, yeah, that's great. Uh... I, yeah. <laughs> I, it, yeah. And the song ended up becoming the song Love Me or Kill Me. Hmm. And then on top of that, God, this like there was another issue where I think because of all the tech elements or something, they couldn't fit the orchestra in the orchestra pit. So they had to put them in this basement and split them into two rooms because there wasn't enough room to fit the entire orchestra in one room. And so the music was picked up by speakers and would be pushed into the auditorium by these giant speakers however set pieces were put in front of the speakers they weren't able to be moved a sound just ended up sounding terrible and like muffled and just like just just awful but there was nothing they could do about it because the, the they couldn't move those set pieces and they couldn't put the band in the room with the with the theater with the set so so it's just like they just started to see everything start to fall apart in their show like everything was falling apart and for for theater people tech normally does mean that your show is going to fall apart but tech is for it to fall apart and then you put it back together however when they were trying to put it back together it wasn't going back together and they were like oh no what do we do yeah um, it's a common experience because you when you put the show together with the actors and you don't have the technical elements you sort of perfect it then and then the technical elements throw everything off and it doesn't look right anymore and the actors aren't hitting their marks and it's sort of a disaster because the technical elements have added this other factor. But yeah, then the actors work the technical elements into their performance and everything's fine, in theory. In theory. Not for Spider-Man. In theory. <laughs> because things were moving so slowly, their opening night 
was getting delayed. So they were planning on opening December 21st, and then it just got delayed to January 11th, 2011. And when news got out about the injuries and the delaying of the show, like the, the press went crazy around this and everybody was waiting like or not everybody but all these like news articles and reporters were like i want to know gossip and details about this spider-man musical and they were just talking about how terrible the spider-man musical is and everything's falling apart and it really started to lower morale because everybody was like this the world is attacking me right now and all i'm trying to do is make this show they opened for previews on november 28th and they didn't get to run all of act one until november 26th so when they open for previews, which means that like the show wasn't officially opened yet and they were allowed to make changes to the show. However, they would have audience members there watching the show. They hadn't ran the entire show. Like they didn't run act two. So they basically just threw the actors out there and they were like, good luck. <laughs> and I just can't even, I can't even imagine. That's like, I actually have nightmares about that. Like while we do shows, like I always have a stress dream about that. And then like, they actually did that to their actors in this Spider-Man musical. It's old school. I mean, 19th century melodrama, they would do that. You wouldn't have chance. You just go out and do your line Shakespeare. They had maybe a day or two of rehearsal. Yeah. Ugh. It sucks. Yeah. I mean, so, and sometimes if you're like replacing an actor on Broadway, you don't get that much rehearsal until you're just like thrown into the show. Well, that is, uh, I can't even, oh my God, that just, the idea of that stresses me out so bad. Like what, what, so because of like people, the morale was starting to fall and there was like bad vibes all throughout the theater. So somebody hired a ritual maven to come into the show or come into the theater and cleanse the theater. So she's walking around with Sage, like cleansing the theater. And she says that the pit in the middle of the stage uh, had the darkest energy in the entire theater. I don't know. I guess she didn't cleanse it then. It's an <laughs> like old Broadway theater. Of course, it's going to be haunted and like have right. dark yeah. energy. This energy has been around since like the 1920s and 10s. And then, yeah, well, and then on top of that, all the bad energy that was now being put into it by the Spider-Man crew, the first preview, the show had not been run in its entirety, so it was a pretty rocky preview. Some Spider-Man and Arachne were stuck suspended in the air as they had to work through glitches with flying tech, but they did manage to get through the entire show. However, Natalie Mendoza, who is the one and only Arachne, got hit by some loose bar down in the basement and got a concussion, so she was out. Like, she couldn't perform. They were like, she's going to have severe brain damage if she keeps performing. So she was out for a bunch of weeks. And they didn't, because she was the one and only Arachne, they didn't really have an understudy for her. So this poor, unprepared actor was thrown into the role and faced Julie Taymor's wrath when she didn't perform it to Julie Taymor's standards. And, like, I just feel so bad for this lady because she's trying her best. And Julie Taymor apparently, like, went to her dressing room after her first preview and just, like, chewed her out for, like, hours. And it's just like, what is she supposed to do? <laughs> like, you didn't teach her how to do this. So, and then on top of, like, that stress and then the stress of the show having horrible tech hiccups every night. And uh, at this point, too, The Tempest, Julie Taymor's movie version of The Tempest released, and it was receiving terrible reviews. And so, like, Julie Taymor's mental health was declining very rapidly. 
But then a glimpse of hope, Natalie Mendoza is able to return as Arachne on December 15th, which is actually Julie Taymor's birthday. The show itself still wasn't making much progress, though, and um, they had to push back opening night again. And they still didn't have um, a climax. Like, they, they just basically ended the show without an ending, and people would leave the theater confused and saying that they felt like guinea pigs. Like I said, opening night got pushed back, and it was going to be pushed back to February 7th. And at this point, things would just get even worse. This was uh, December 20th, the middle of Act 2. Spider-Man goes to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge to save Mary Jane. However, when the actor Chris Tierney jumps, the cable wrapped around his waist didn't catch him, and he falls into the 30-foot pit onto solid concrete. He landed on his back, and his injuries included a fractured skull, a punctured lung, internal bleeding, four broken ribs, and three cracked vertebrae. He fell 30 feet? Somehow... How, huh? how did he, he fell 30 feet? Yes, he did. That's amazing that he survived. And landed on his back. And yeah. He, yeah, and I know he like maneuvered himself in the fall because he knew he wasn't connected to anything. So he like maneuvered his body while falling and so that way it didn't like he didn't like hit something. And also like because like, Spider-Man jumped in like head first, so he was able to flip himself over so he didn't land on his head because he would have he would have been screwed at that point. I mean, yeah, it's a miracle he didn't die. And he never lost consciousness either. So, like, he continued to talk with people. And he could also still wiggle his toes. So, like, he he was, like, pretty okay. I mean, he wasn't okay, but, like, he was pretty okay. That um, lady with the sage, the next- she accomplished something then. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but she did that say that true. that was the darkest place. And then that's, that is the, the darkest thing that happened in this musical, for sure. Are like in the production of this musical was Chris Tierney getting hurt, and um, he came back too. It, the, he did, yeah. And then so the next day, it was December twenty first, the day that they were supposed to open. Uh, they went and visited him in the hospital, and he was like, "I love being Spider Man, and I can't wait to recover so I can go back to being Spider Man." And he did. Like once he recovered properly, he went back, and he was still the Spider Man stunt double, which I, is wild to me. Like he sounds like a. And, and I'm sure got. He, What'd you say? I'm sure he got workman. I'm sure he got workman's oh, comp he, or something. He better have. Like I, I know OSHA sued the hell out of them because yep. of it, but. Yeah, there. Uh, yeah, then there was so many like OSHA things going on, and then Natalie Mendoza was standing in the pit because she was getting ready for her cue to go up, and saw Chris Tierney fall down on the ground in front of her, and she quit. So she's gone. She's like, <laughs> "Screw this, I'm out." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she only did like, what is it, six performances, and then was gone. Like, yeah. it was a good move. Yeah. No, I think she made the right yeah. decision. Pulled an Alan Cummings. <laughs> um, so uh, a video, uh, somebody was taking a video of the performance that night and a video of Chris Tierney falling into the pit was posted on YouTube and it went viral and like things were just terrible for everyone. Everybody, the cast checked out, Natalie Mendoza quit. Uh, everybody was afraid of getting injured. Everybody saw everybody attacking the show and they were like, oh my God, everything is just awful. And then a video of Julie Taymor came out and went viral, and it was her saying, 
I don't think that anything that's really creative can be done without danger and risk. And people went nuts and they're like, she's evil. She's wicked. Like she's like trying to put people in danger when I don't think that she was talking about Spider-Man when she was talking about that. And I also think that she didn't mean danger in the sense of actual danger, but danger in the sense of like, oh, you know, you got to take risks when you do art kind of thing. Like, you know, like, oh, and the risk is like, I made Spider-Man's costume blue instead of red or whatever like you know yeah. i think that's what she meant by danger not that chris Tierney should fall into a pit yeah she's not she's not from the school of uh warner herzog the like documentarian filmmaker who like actually puts his people in danger yes yeah i've seen yeah. some of his stuff yeah i it's just a poor choice of words though it is and i'm not even sure if that video was taken like during it or if it was like an old video but it, it sounds like it was um but yeah so she, and she was distraught over the Chris Tierney thing. Like she, she definitely blamed herself for it. And like, at that point she felt like the entire world was against her. Like not only was this musical falling apart, but uh, her two movies that she just recently released were getting torn to shreds. And now everybody was blaming her for Chris Tierney almost dying. So Julie Taymor really felt like the, the entire world was against her. And soon enough for for her it, that would be true and that is where we will end today's episode there is a lot more intrigue and deception and espionage that happens in the next episode like i mentioned before there is a uh, 1.0 which is julie tamor's version and then there's a 2.0 which does not include Julie Taymor. So we get to see how they managed to basically start a coup and kick her out of the Spider-Man musical. Any final thoughts or words on the disaster that led to this thing actually happening? I mean, they should have known. They should have known much earlier than than the time they were, yeah. you know, previewing it. I mean, I mean, from from the get go, when the, the producer died in in like, the edges apartment and yeah. like, oh, this is a bad omen maybe you know maybe we shouldn't go through with this like out of respect well they yeah there was some hubris here oh 100 which is funny that she got so attached to the idea of arachne which is like one of the most iconic tales of hubris and arachne ended up really truly being the downfall of the show they actually used tony adams as like a reason to keep going with the show they were like he's our obi-wan kenobi watching over us as we do this show and it's like oh but the show is falling to pieces maybe he's trying to tell you to stop yeah i think he probably pieced out yeah so we'll, we'll meet again then huh yes we will have right. to Sounds good. More Spider-Man to come. Yep. Uh, yep. I'm sorry. I, I'm tired. It's hot in here. <laughs> do you Dying. want? Do you have like a any? Are we done? You're just gonna cut it here. It should end the way the Spider-Man second act ended. With we don't know when it's if it's over. Is it ending? What's happening now? Yep. Is this it? No Are we done? <laughs> Those are all of the, almost all of the injuries that happened. So there really weren't as many injuries, but I mean, Chris Tierney almost dying. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And the other guy, the, the tech guy almost got his oh, head yes, crunched. Oh, yes, that so guy too. That's two. Yep. Two almost deaths. Yep. Yeah. That's a lot <laughs> for one yeah. musical, I think. I mean, 
considering your average high school production of Oklahoma, the worst that happens is the case of mono. Yeah. 